And if you're still in the room, would you please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Hope you're able to pick up an outline on the way in. Um, I use these outlines to help walk you through the text. Just so you know, you're going to be able to keep this outline until next week because we're going to get through half of it this morning. Uh, Just the first three points. The Lord slowed me down in my study preparation for this message, uh, which is a good thing. So Matthew chapter 10, I'm going to read the whole passage, verses 5 to 15. Matthew 10, 5. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Well, if you remember, we are in a huddle with Jesus. He has gathered his men, 12 disciples, who he turns into apostles, and he prepares them for the big game, which is essentially gospel ministry in a hostile world. And like a good coach does in his huddle, he gives them both convicting motivation and clear instruction. He lays out the play. This is what you're going to do. Now, this next chapter of instruction is kind of like the commission before the commission. The commission before the commission, and so that's why I'm titling this sermon. I'm talking about the commission before the Great Commission, the more popular Great Commission. And you can't help but notice the similarities. Jesus calls the twelve to himself and and sends them out. The first word of both is go. And the uh, scope of the mission here in this chapter, it's obviously going to be narrower, but the message and the ministry principles are the same. Go out and preach the gospel so that people might receive it and become disciples of Jesus Christ. We just finished our evangelism class here at SBC. I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if Jesus taught an evangelism class? Wouldn't that be awesome? If you can sit in the classroom with Jesus as your professor or your teacher and just ask him a bunch of questions about evangelism. Like, Jesus, what do we say when we go out? What do we expect? What do we do when people reject us? 
throw our message to the side. How, how do we know if they genuinely receive the message and are true disciples of you? Help us. You know, I think if Jesus were to come and teach that class, he might open the Bible that's on your lap to Matthew chapter 10 and say, here it is, Evangelism 101 with the professor, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this passage, in this chapter, we see principles for evangelism. What you should do, what you should say, what you should expect. What if people reject you? What if they receive the message? How do you know if it's legit? Jesus answers those questions in this chapter. So we're going to walk through it carefully. And um, on your outline, you'll see I see six principles for evangelism just in this section. And we're going to get through three this morning. Three principles this morning for evangelism. And these are priceless principles for your life, for your ministry. Number one is this. Charged to go. Charged to go. If you look at verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them. That word for instructing could also be translated, He charged them. He charged them. This is like a command coming from a general. This is like a summons from the court. This is like a prescription from a doctor. These are binding orders for his men. This isn't uh, an, uh, an infomercial on evangelism. This is a call to action. Jesus, like that Uncle Sam poster, is saying, I want you in my army. I want you to go out. And do what I tell you to do. So this is a charge. We need to feel that. We are kind of in a huddle. Getting ready to go out into the game. And what is his first order for his men? Go. Go. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles. And enter no town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I want that repeated word to echo in your head. Go. 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 Ask yourself this question. Are you going? Are you going? See, the mission of God demands outward movement. Now, the apostles, you'll see, were called to go to a specific target. Not among the Gentiles, in no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now you might ask the same question I asked, why? Why did Jesus give such a specific target here? Let's first ask the question, why is Israel like lost sheep? Why are they like lost sheep? Well, if you remember back to when Jesus looked out upon the crowd and he sees a bunch of harassed and helpless sheep there. You'll remember why they are called lost sheep. First of all, the religious leaders are bad shepherds. The religious leaders of Israel are bad shepherds. They've neglected the sheep. It's comparable to the time that Ezekiel writes in Ezekiel 34. They're, the shepherds aren't feeding the sheep. The shepherds are feeding themselves. 
The shepherds are neglecting the sheep. They're allowing them to go astray. They're not protecting them from wild beasts. They're not protecting them from false doctrine. In fact, they're perpetrators of false doctrine. The leaders of Israel are bad shepherds. That's why the people of Israel have gone astray like lost sheep. The second reason, and you know, Israel, they're not just victims in all this, but they are perpetrators themselves. Israel has turned away from God. They've rejected the gospel that was promised to them hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They had adopted this works-based salvation, this empty religiosity. It's like a shell of religion with no true heart for God. It's similar to the time that Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53.6. He writes, kind of indicting himself with all of Israel. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So that's why the people of Israel are lost sheep. They have bad leaders and they themselves have turned away from God. They've rejected him in their sin. And you might think as I did, well, I'm not too different than they are. Without Christ, I'm like a lost sheep who's turned away in my own sin. Why then does Jesus focus in this passage specifically on Israel? Aren't all the Gentiles like lost sheep, harassed and helpless in their sins? So why does Jesus send his apostles to Israel first and exclusively? Peter tells us why in Acts chapter 3. He says in verse 25, he says, you, and he's speaking to Israel. He says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. God, having raised up his servant, that's Jesus, sent him to you first. So it's not that Jesus was sending his apostles only to Israel or exclusively, but rather first and foremost. And that was right because they were the recipients of the covenant promises, And so Jesus and his apostles go to Israel first. And we have to remember, too, that Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. He's writing to them to prove that Jesus Christ is their king. And he aims to show them, even in this passage, that Jesus did fulfill his promise. It was right for Jesus and his apostles to go to Israel because his covenant promises were made with them first. But then what happened? Israel rejected their Messiah. They despised and rejected him. And by the way, they further rejected his apostles. We read later in Acts in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, they spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, talking to the people of Israel. But since you throw it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, We're turning to the Gentiles. See, the apostles, they hit their first target. They did just as Jesus commanded them. They took the gospel to Israel, but Israel threw it away. So now what? Well, phase two of the mission. The Great Commission. If you fast forward later into Matthew, I'm trying to set context for where this passage fits in the greater gospel Go forward to Matthew 28. What does it say? Something very similar, but the target broadens. It says, Go, therefore, 
Jesus to his apostles, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The target starts small and it expands. Again, by the way, you see the word go in this commission and the great commission. Are you going? The mission of God demands outward movement. The great commission is said a different way in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, broaden, and then to the ends of the earth. You see how the scope expands. Interesting pattern. By the way, you see the same pattern in the Abrahamic covenant. God starts in that covenant with specific promises for one individual. Do you remember his name? Abram. Abram, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Then the scope broadens. He has national blessings for the people of Israel. Abram's descendants, I will give you a great possession. I will make of you a great nation. And then the end of the Abrahamic covenant says, and then in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you see it expanding? So, if we focus in on Matthew chapter 10, we see it in that context. We see that we're looking at the commission before the commission, where the target is still narrow. It's like the vertex of the ray that sends the apostles to the house of Israel first. Then, in Matthew 28, the target expands. But notice the movement outward. You're always going. The principle, the ministry principle stays the same. The target has changed, but the charge hasn't. Go. The mission of God demands outward movement. Are you going? Are you going outward with the gospel? Maybe it's helpful to think of going in one of the three contexts given to us in Acts chapter uh, 3, or sorry, Acts chapter 1. If you could go back to that passage, look at the three contexts presented here. Some of us are going to go out in Jerusalem. Think about that being your local community, the one you live in, Fontana and the surrounding areas, Rancho Cucamonga, Rialto, etc., and beyond that. Listen, go doesn't always mean far. Go means outward movement within a context. So some of you might stay in this area for the rest of your life, but you're still called to go. You're still called to be a faithful witness here to the community surrounding you. And it will still require you to get a little bit uncomfortable to step out and share Christ with family, friends, and neighbors. Now, others might go out to Judea and Sumeria. That's the surrounding regions. You might move, go somewhere else. But still, as you go somewhere else, you are a proclaimer of the gospel. You're still going out with the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's outward movement. I think about uh, Summit Bible Church was a church plant of Foothill Bible Church. Foothill Bible Church being in Upland. This was an endeavor sent out to Fontana to reach eastward with the gospel. There's outward movement. You know, a job might move you somewhere else one day. 
Or maybe you feel called to then be a part of a church plant to go further with the gospel. Still outward movement, right? Or maybe some of you in this room are called to the third context. Maybe the Lord has called you to go to the ends of the earth. For some of you, go does mean go far. It means you might learn another language, learn another culture, and you're going out to proclaim Christ to unreached people groups who've never heard of Him. That might be you. Maybe some of you in this room this morning. By the way, I prayed for you this morning. I prayed that God would raise up a missionary from Summit Bible Church to go out, proclaim the good news of Jesus far and wide. I don't know what context you're called to, you and your family, or even yourself individually, but I know it's one of these three. For some of you, going means faithfully praying and pleading with the same four people for decades. That might be you. You're called to this little crop to take the good news of Jesus there consistently, persistently, being a faithful witness to that little community. But you're going. You're moving outward. And for others of you, going means responding to the call to preach on the street corners, to hand out tracts at the mall, to learn another language, to move to a foreign country. That might be you. We're all charged to go, to move outward, to move towards the lost, to reach people for Jesus. The where is going to be up to your calling and and the conviction which comes from God, and it's confirmed by the church community. So that's you and the Lord first. But the question remains, are you going? Are you moving outward with the gospel? That's the first ministry principle, charged to go. The second ministry principle is proclaim as you go. Proclaim as you go. Look at verse 7. He says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's start with the message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'll notice if you've been with us through Matthew that that is the same message that John the Baptist preached. It is the same message that Jesus preached. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, or it could be translated, it is near. It's on the brink. It's on the cusp. The kingdom of heaven, as was previously explained, we believe that to be the kingdom that God promised in the Old Testament. That is a literal kingdom where His anointed one will reign as king. Where He'll make all wrongs right. Where He will gather His people to dwell in the land peacefully. That's the kingdom of heaven. Well, we see and we have seen that the king has arrived. He's here. His name is Jesus. He's performing signs and miracles, validating His power, His authority. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is near. But, as we will begin to see, as the gospel goes out into Israel, and we see Israel's response, it is concerning. Because if you know the prophets, 
If you read Jeremiah 32 and 33, then you know that the people of Israel need a heart change before that kingdom comes. And we unfortunately do not see that happen when Jesus comes in His first coming. They reject Him. They rejected John the Baptist. They rejected Jesus' call to repent, turn back to God. By the way, they they rejected the the Apostle Peter's call. Peter, after Jesus' ascension, he again calls Israel to repent in Acts 3.19. He says, repent so that the times of refreshing will come and Jesus will come back. But they don't. In Jesus' ministry or the Apostles' ministry, Israel rejects the kingdom offer. They do not repent yet. Important word, yet. Romans 11 gives us hope that they will. They will one day repent and be saved in the future, but not yet. And so now, as the gospel moves outward, that same gospel message is offered to the Gentiles. Many of you, us in this room, not of the house of Israel, we have received the good news of the gospel. The light has come to us. Praise God during this time. And the church grows and expands. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is the king. And the only way that men can be right with God is believing that He died on the cross to take your punishment for sin and that He rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. That you would repent from your sins and believe in Him alone to inherit His kingdom. That's the good news. That is the gospel message. It remains the same. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Him, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we can present everyone mature in Christ. This is the message that we stick with, friends. We don't deviate from it. We don't deviate from the truth. We don't stop warning people of sin and its consequences and its destiny. We call them to repentance and faith in Christ, the true King. We teach them the whole Gospel so that we can present them mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of that Gospel. Don't be ashamed of the message. For it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And if it doesn't seem to be working, you're not getting the response that you wanted or you would hope for. Know this, it's not the message's fault. Don't change it. It's not necessarily the messenger's fault. Keep proclaiming it. Most likely, it's on the ears of those who hear it. And often, unfortunately, as we move forward, we'll see that the gospel falls on deaf ears, and blind eyes. Many will reject it. But we're still called to go because there's some out there who will believe. And so we're faithful to proclaim it. I love this concept in here. Proclaim as you go. As you go. As you go evangelism. Coining the term for my brother Josue. We talked about this before service. As you go evangelism, 
You know, I think often we think or we limit evangelism to a one-day activity or an event. You know, whether it's like going to the mall and handing out tracts or going on a, a missions trip and proclaiming the gospel. We think of outreaches as being the only form of evangelism. And, and outreaches are good. Those are good ways to share the gospel. We've seen good fruit from outreaches. But I want you to also consider as you go evangelism. Proclaiming Him as you go, from neighbor to barber, from the home to the workplace, from the grocery store to the park. How about this? As you go, allowing the name of Jesus Christ to just flow naturally from your lips. Proclaim Him. Get His name out there, wherever you go and whoever you come into contact with. As you go evangelism, natural, it just flows out of you. I recently attended the funeral of uh, the deceased sheriff's deputy, Darnell Calhoun. Um, I played football with Darnell, knew the family well. And so it was a shock to hear that he was killed in the line of duty. It was a powerful funeral. I don't know if you had the opportunity to watch it online. I know there's a link to watch it. But every person who got up to share, including the pastors, obviously the pastors, I hope the pastors, but even Riverside County Sheriff Chad Bianco, San Diego Chief of Police, I forget his name, all these men who who may or may not be Christians, I don't know, every single one of them proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them, out of their lips came Jesus Christ. Some of them, may, unbeknownst to them, they shared the gospel. Why? Because they just saw one of their deputies give his life in service to protect another, and they, in their mind, related it to his faith in Jesus Christ who gave his life for Darnell. And they're just sharing this about Darnell's life. Why? Because Darnell proclaimed him as he went. Just as you go. The other officers, even the the chief of police, had known about Darnell's faith. He was committed as you go. A faithful witness. I, I wonder if you were to die tomorrow, would Christ be proclaimed at your funeral? Would the witnesses of your life, the people who watch you as you go, know of you as a Christian? Know of you as somebody who loves Jesus Christ? Someone who witnessed about Jesus to them? Would they know of Him because you proclaim as you go? Comes out of you. You follow Him, you believe Him, so you proclaim Him to whoever you go to and wherever you go. Proclaim as you go. Maybe the next step in the efforts toward evangelism isn't signing up for the next outreach, but just being faithful as you go out this week, whoever you come into contact, opening the doors and taking the opportunities to share the gospel. That's the second principle. Charge to go, proclaim as you go. And the third, motivated by grace. Motivated by grace. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Look back at the text. Jesus says this, Heal the sick, 
raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Now, these miraculous works, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, as we talked about last week, the apostles were uniquely empowered to do these things. And these miracles weren't just like a display show, but they were purposeful and strategic so that the people of Israel would see that these men are truly the men of the Christ. It would help to confirm their message, to validate it. That's why they were given power to perform miracles, so that people would believe the message was from the king. But we can't help but see this is compassion ministry, isn't it? Healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons. As Jesus looks upon the crowd with compassion, he moves to relieve their suffering, and his men are going to do the same. His men are going to follow in his footsteps. But then there's this small, so very important reminder here. It says, you received without paying. Give without pay. The Legacy Standard Version translates it this way. Freely you received. So freely you give. This is an important, important ministry principle. A ministry motivated by grace. You know, this instruction comes at a time when men took advantage of the poor. Rabbis, exorcists, would travel around performing similar miracles by I don't know what kind of power, and they would charge a fee that came along with it. They would take advantage of the poor, take advantage of the sick, take advantage of the helpless, charging money for their teaching, their miracle working, and their exorcisms. They had get-rich schemes cloaked in compassion work. Does it sound familiar? These kinds of men still exist today. Men who take advantage of the poor, and they cloak it in compassion or even evangelism. Jesus says, not my messengers. Not my messengers. They're not going to be motivated by greed. They will be motivated by grace. Grace. What is grace? What is grace? Grace is favor undeserved, isn't it? It's a a gift that you didn't pay for. Imagine taking your family heirloom. It's been passed down from six generations. Generation to generation, over hundreds of years. It's a gift from your great, 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 great grandfather down to you today, and it's in your house. When it comes time to pass it down to your son or to your daughter, you say, Well, you know what? This is actually worth a lot of money. I'd get a good price for this at the antique show, I think. Maybe $5,000. For this piece of furniture, whatever it is. But you know what? So you say, you know what though? This is my son. This is my daughter. I'm going to give them a discount. I'll charge them $4,999. They'll get the $1 family discount. And you charge your son or your daughter for the family heirloom that has been passed down freely over generations. 
your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather might come out of the grave and slap you. That was a free gift, wasn't it? So how, would, how could you charge someone else for it? How much worse is it to withhold gospel ministry when Jesus freely called, He freely taught, He freely empowered these disciples for the ministry? How could they charge? How could they seek to make a profit off of gospel ministry? Don't be motivated by greed. Be motivated by God's grace. God's grace freely given in your life. Maybe it would be good for us to rehearse God's grace. To recount the gifts of God that we've received in our lifetime. Let's start with your life. Your life is a gift from God. Psalm 139 talks about us being fearfully and wonderfully made, worked in the womb. Let me ask you, did you pay for your first breath? Can you pay any amount of money to prevent your last breath from coming? Your life is a gift from God. All grace. Salvation is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. If you didn't pay for your physical life, you certainly will not pay for your spiritual life. You didn't earn it. You couldn't buy it. It was a gift from God. It's all grace. Even ministry. The ability to minister to others, to serve others, to share the gospel. That's grace. That's a gift from God. Romans 12.6 talks about our ministry being a gift. And we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Salvation, sanctification, and service are all free gifts of God's grace. Let's broaden the scope to everything. Every good thing you have is God's grace. Gifts. James 1.17 says, Every good gift... Every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Everything good you have is grace. Let's think about the trail that grace blazed to get you here today, in this room, with the health that you have, the roof over your head, the food that you ate this morning or the night before. Think about the people who faithfully witnessed to you, the preacher who faithfully preached to you, the friend, the family member who didn't give up on you, the guy or the girl who handed you that invitation, the faithful generations who came before you to grant you this opportunity. Again, the roof over your head, the clothes you wear, the food, the car. Isn't it all grace? Can't you see that everything is grace? We are thimbles. And God's grace is an ocean. And when it's poured out into your life, you can't help but overflow and splash onto other people. When you recount God's grace. Grace will season your speech. It'll temper your tone. It'll soften your eyes. It'll tenderize your touch. You can't hide grace immeasurable, grace unending, grace so pure and sweet. You're just going to want to say, listen, I want to tell you about something that I got for free. And it blesses me every day. 
There's good motivation in evangelism. I can't but help but talk about Jesus. God's been so gracious to me. Let that motivate your evangelism. Not numbers, not money, not the opportunity to look smart, but to share the grace of God, to let it overflow to whomever and wherever you go. God's been so gracious, so good to us. Why don't we tell others that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin? Titus 2.11, the grace of God has appeared. It came. Bringing salvation to all people. Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all, unlo- for all, excuse me, from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Grace has appeared. Jesus gave himself freely for us. What a gift. A priceless gift that we ought to share with those around us. Preach and show them grace. In grace alone. You received freely. Therefore, you give freely. Be motivated by grace. So just three principles for evangelism for you this morning. Three principles. First, respond to the charge and go. Move outward into the context of the community that God has called you to taking the gospel, being a faithful witness of Jesus Christ, and proclaim as you go. Don't compromise the message or pass on the open door opportunities that you have to share Christ. And thirdly, be motivated by grace. Daily rehearse and recount the ways that God has poured grace upon your life and then go out ready to pour it out on others. And there's three more essential principles coming next week. Let's close in prayer. God, it is clear that you don't call us as Christians to just gather together and sit on our hands and do nothing. God, you don't call Christians to come and experience immeasurable grace to just bottle it up inside and and wait for heaven. God, you've called disciples to yourself to enjoy your grace, to love you, to worship you, and out of such overflow of grace in our lives, we share your grace with all those we come in contact with. Help us to be faithful witnesses. Help us to be hard workers and laborers for the gospel. Help us to proclaim as we go, to be faithful witnesses of Christ, to proclaim him and to be motivated outward by grace, by grace. I pray for Maybe some in this room who don't yet know you, God. They don't know your grace. 
Maybe they heard the gospel for the first time in this sermon. The Jesus that we proclaim, I pray that they would receive Jesus Christ by faith. They would believe in Him, repenting from their sin, and believe in Him alone for salvation. That they would experience the immeasurable, unending grace of God in their own life. That you would make them a true disciple. And that they would be welcomed and embraced by our church family. Trained up, equipped, and then sent out to make more for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.